what better way to tackle death than to write your own eulogy? Ooh. And then with, within six months of turning 18, I was in a drunk driving crash and the same thing. Like once the car started rolling, we're going extremely fast on a country road. I just shut my eyes and I was just like, if it happens, just make it quick. That's all I ask for. Holy shit. Who am I? And who do I actually want to be? Because right now I'm this self-centered, egotistical asshole and I want to be an honest, selfless, compassionate person. No parent should ever have to bury their child, so send me off into the breeze or the sea so that every time you look at the beauty of the world around you, you're reminded that the boy who wasn't meant to live past his early teens got the gift of... Fuck. Got the gift of 26 years on this beautiful earth. G'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It's the captain of the ship, man in charge, Bradley J. Driver. Of course, call me Brad. And I always say that I'm excited for an episode because it's an opportunity to chat, to learn, to grow, to sit down and do what I love. But I'm extremely excited for today's episode because I'm in good company. I'm in the company of two of my best mates, two guys who have been a huge part of my life in these last years, who have been a huge support of this, everything I do in my life. And we consistently catch up and have incredible conversation over coffee, runs, and you know just any opportunity we get. And it sort of gave me an idea inspired by what the boys at Imperfects podcast do with their Vulnerability House episodes that the three of us needed to sit down and make one of those chats more official, mm-hmm. um, set it in stone through recording and putting it out to the world. Hopefully the world will see it and hear it and have a meaningful conversation about something that could be useful to anyone listening or watching on. So I want to introduce them on my left. Um, we call him Brother Fune. His name's Ty Grieve. How are you? Hey. Welcome, and, Brother Fune. <laughs> Thank you. And on my right, the man we call Joey Zoolander, uh, Mr. Joe Plum. Happy to be here. So We speak about this, don't we? Like wanting to record mm. our chats. You know, we, we get these, um, we get in these flows. And I'm like, fuck, if only we had recorded that. It's finally made it out of the group chat. Yeah. It finally has. And I think... The beauty of it is that we toyed with how we do today, whether it was similar to what the Imperfects podcast do with like question cards or um, whether it was a bit random, but I was sitting and watching Limitless, a Chris Hemsworth series on Disney Plus recently. You love Chris. Yeah, I love Chris. You, love, you love a little bit of Chris. <laughs> Who doesn't love Chris? A little bit of Liam. Yeah. Liam. You don't mind, it was actually in a movie I watched this morning. So there you go. He loves Hemsworth. Uh, I love the Hemsworth family. Um, but I was sitting watching this series and it was called Limitless and he had a guy who I'm sure you're both aware of, Peter Atia, um, leading longevity expert. He's a consistent feature on Rogan's pod and a bunch of other pods and um, Peter Atia sits down Chris Hemsworth and talks about a um, bunch of blood work that he's done, a bunch of tests he's done on what his life looks like, what his longevity looks like, mm-hmm. um, what he has to expect of his future and things he needs to work on to make sure he has a chance of living a long, healthy life. And the last episode of what was a brilliant series, it was a really good series, was around death and the acceptance of death. And mm. I actually sat down with my whole family and watched it. We were sort of all around just looking for something to occupy an hour of our time. And I put this last episode on. and Just a light watch? <laughs> a light watch. Just a light yeah. watch about death yeah. <laughs> with my family? I tell you what, it was profound though. We were all glued, eyes yeah. set on the TV, listening to every word, no distractions, because there were a few powerful moments within it. It was all around um, sort of accepting that we're, we're going to get older. It's a part of life and there's 
ailments and challenges that come with that, like restriction of movement. They had him in this suit mm. and, you know, it was harder for him to move. It had elastic so he could barely lift his arm above his head and a bunch of other things happening there. And he was talking to some people who lived in this retirement village. Um, it was run by a doctor by the name of, um, I forget the guy, BJ Miller. Okay. And BJ Miller was a former Stanford University athlete in America who climbed on top of a train one day, electric surge, uh, was magnetized by his watch, blew his arm, his, one of his arms from, I think, like the elbow down off no way. Um, and two of his legs he amputated. Younger? Yeah, he was like so in his early... behavior. Yeah, and went from being an athlete and quite an um, aspiring mm. athlete to a guy who had to redefine his purpose, find meaning in life again. So this guy, you know, has two prosthetic legs from the knee down mm-hmm. and, you know, one prosthetic arm, or actually he's missing one part of his arm, one half his arm. And he just spoke a lot about acceptance and understanding that when we reach these points in our life, we have to find new meaning and what we are capable of. And for him, it's meant be, becoming a doctor, going mm-hmm. on to do really profound work. And so I listened to a bunch of these chats. I introduced a, a young lady. I can't remember her name, but she was our age. You know, mm-hmm. she was... Well, Ferns is a little bit older than us. Um, I'd love to bring that up. But she was 27. You don't look 43, but that's... <laughs> you're doing well. Yeah, only a few grades for a 43-year-old. Yeah, happy um, birthday, Ferns. But she, she had quite a heavy diagnosis of terminal cancer. And first it started with a cancer diagnosis. She then went overseas to not escape, not run away from it, but just to get realigned with what she really wanted from mm-hmm. this chapter of her life. She met a guy, they fell in love, um, come back, she went for another scan and found out that her cancer was terminal. Mm-hmm. It had gone to her lungs and a bunch of other areas. And, you know, this guy said he wanted to stay by her side and ride it out with her. She wanted to break up with him so we didn't have to go through that. But she was sharing her story with Chris about what's become extremely important to her. And it made me sit as they spoke about this concept of death and mortality. And I guess I've had a maybe a heightened idea of it because of my CF and what was, you know, my prognosis early on, but I've crushed a lot of that stigma and a lot of those negative beliefs Mm -hmm. to be healthy and thriving. But naturally in life, none of us know when our time's up. Mm -hmm. And it made me think that a beautiful way to kick off the three of us getting together on the pod, which will hopefully be a consistent theme month on month, is to talk about death and what better way to tackle death than to write your own eulogy so here we are here we are yeah it's um death's an interesting one for me i've had i guess like very little um thought about death i haven't had it touch my life significantly um outside of one one large death being my my grandfather probably I believe it was four years ago now, um, three years ago now. But outside of that, I really hadn't had much death in my life. Um, so something that I never really considered or, or thought about. So mm. when you, I guess, assigned us the task or or put forward the idea of writing a eulogy, um, it was an interesting one. I've, yeah, I've never really had to go there and think about death, let alone death of myself. For sure. Um, I do have a friend of mine, though, who interestingly he kind of got into a space where he would get a little bit anxious and thinking about death and i would kind of just you know put him at ease he's our age um 49 Um, (laughs) (laughs) so he's our age but 
I'm not sure where it came from. Oh, actually, I think he was reading a book. I think it was, he was reading a book um, and it just sparked this kind of anxiety and fear around death and this um, this urgency where he started to kind of go in these spirals and thinking about death and what if I don't have enough time to do what I want to do? And it was interesting because he's a, he's a good friend of mine and we have, we've like grown up together and I've just never had any type of experience or thought loop about death, um, even when, you know, I haven't even attended that many funerals. Hmm. But to have a very close friend of mine be like, man, I'm a little bit um, scared of death and I've been thinking about it a lot and it's something that's on my mind and I'd kind of just, you know, try to put him at ease. And say, Dude, it's, um, it's natural. Don't worry about the thought process. Don't be afraid of it. Um, exercise, you know. We'll do different things to exercise a little bit of um, peace and comfort around the idea. You don't want to get lose sleep over it and, and get in this this rabbit hole around death. But even then, when a close friend of mine is discussing death, I'd never really even you know like think about it too much. So this is an interesting experiment for me too. Writing yeah. Eulogy. Well, I'm I'm really looking forward to diving into it. Ferns, you sort of shared before your experience with death has probably been similar to Joey's. Like. Mm. Very much like I haven't been exposed to it much. I had my grandfather pass away. That's kind of the only exposure I've had to it in my family. And at that age, as we were saying before, like I had zero acceptance for it. Like I kind of just suppressed it and tried to go on as if like it didn't happen. Mm. So actually Mm. when I wrote my eulogy for this, I actually referenced my pop's eulogy. He he passed away 11 years ago. And that was the second time I've actually read it. So I've had like a hard time actually accepting his death. So Mm. now over the last, I think it took me kind of like six years to kind of accept that it happened. Like the last six years have been a lot better. Mm. For sure. I I haven't thought too much about the finality of life. I think I've had a heightened sense of what I need to do to make sure that isn't my reality. And I've had maybe two, two close brushes with what was challenging me to think maybe it was my time with some serious lung bleeds in the early stages of my CF health sort of declining um, a few years back. And... I was really blessed, so, you know, guy that you've heard me talk about heaps, Ernie, a guy that I met in hospital who was terminally ill with cancer, taught me a lot about life and mm-hmm. actually was the guy who encouraged me to go and leave my job. Um, he, he didn't literally sit down and say, I think you should quit your job, but a conversation with Ernie um, every day over the course of two weeks in hospital, just him and I chatting over a cup of tea and biscuits really made me think about what was important to me in life and where I was you know, sort of missing the mark at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And then I lost my nan and my nan had cancer and um, miss her dearly, my mum's mum, which was hard for me to watch my mum go through that because she's lost both the parents now. And, you know, mum's still 52. So she's still pretty young to have, you know, no parents in her life. And, you know, but when it comes to your, your older relatives, it's kind of the natural pathway of life, right? Like you expect them to go before... Um, some of your more immediate family do but I've had mates that have lost parents and family members and you know it was actually last year I attended a funeral which similar to you Joey I haven't attended too many and um, a lady I used to work with we used to have quite a good relationship at work she was one of the most loving and beautiful people was always going out of her way she was a lady that decorated everyone's desk Mm -hmm. um, with birthday celebrations and yeah, we'd stand actually, funnily enough, over a cup of tea and a biscuit at the um, kitchen drawer at work quite frequently and just have a catch-up and a chat. And 
Um, unfortunately, she was only, I think she was very late 30s, early 40s and passed with cancer. And I sat there and she had two lovely daughters who I didn't know, but were sitting front row and obviously extremely emotional with the loss of their mom. And I've never seen a funeral house more packed out. This lady was loved by a lot of people. And at the end of the ceremony, they closed the curtains on her coffin. And fuck, I got emotional because I was like, that's it. Mm. How final is that? Like the curtains are closing on her time here on earth and and they're not going to reopen. Mm. You know, that's it. The final chapter is complete. And unfortunately, it's it's a life gone too soon. And it definitely makes you think about what's important to you. And I'm, that's why I'm so excited about today's chat, which sounds funny when you reference death. So excited to talk <laughs> so about excited. it. But... You know, speaking about cancer, I read a tiny bit out of Pop's eulogy. Yeah, he, I'd like to hear this. He passed away from cancer as well. And I was reading this yesterday while I was writing mine. I was actually getting um, quite emotional. This is the second time I've read it in 11 years. I've had yeah, it. Like, I just huge, haven't been able man. to go through. I know when I like rehash those emotions, it's just like I don't want to accept that they're almost there, kind of. Sure. So I said yesterday, I'm just going to read it and whatever comes up, comes up. But speaking of cancer, this was Pop's bit on cancer. said, I believe cancer is the worst disease you can get, but a little tip is to fight it head on. Just go on with your life. If you try to run from it, it will catch you quicker. My advice in dealing with cancer is to do what I did, spend time around your family. Mm. Yeah. It's it's powerful, isn't it? Because... Such a simple message. Yeah. But it's like, I love he said, if you try to run from it, It'll catch even quicker, and it's almost like not being able to accept it. Yeah, it's mm. it's that fear-based principle. Sorry to cut you off as well, Brad. No, um, it's that fear-based principle that you know the more we try to avoid something, the more present it becomes. The more we try to run from something, mm. the faster it's going to reach us. Almost um, how I've, I dealt with his death was kind of like trying mm. to run from it. Almost I wasn't, wasn't able to accept it. Mm. So, how old were you at the time that he passed, Ferns? Eighteen or nineteen? Yeah, mm. you were pretty close with Pop, weren't you? Like I lived at Nana Pops for the first five years of my life, so mm. like the relationship I had with my Nana Pop was similar to what I think most people would have with their mum and dad. Mm. Like it was very close. And then when he passed away, he was like, from my perspective, what I seen, he was like a figure of health. Like on his 60th birthday, I think I was 15, we like went for a 3K run together. Like Smoked you. Was... <laughs> Not quite. But he was like a figure of health, ate well, yeah. always exercised. And I was like, how can a guy like that pass away so young? It did, did make sense. Yeah. That, um, that brings up for me the idea around and you touched on it brad like sudden death or natural death so when my pop passed um and i think we've spoken about this brad i almost feel like it was the best um best way to experience my first death in the family because we had ample time he died of asbestosis um so um i believe it's like from asbestos exposure and I i think it's just like lung cancer. Yeah, uh, when you're breathing the particles that like cut your lungs. Yeah. Like so, so, um, so his death was, um, I guess documented over a few months where, you know, yeah. he, he didn't decline so suddenly that we, we lost him and didn't have time to process it. Um, my way of approaching it was, okay, he'd lived a rich life, such a fulfilled life in that he'd, um, he, my mum's one of 11. So he, mm. you know, he, his legacy includes 11 children, um, plus the grandchildren, plus the great-grandchildren. So to see his impact and the mark that he's left on the world is almost, you can't really, um, it's not tangible. Yeah. And, and it continues. So for someone to live um, 
such a fulfilled life, such a rich life, so family oriented. Um, and for him to be able to pass away in his family home with all of his family around him, I'm talking in the exact same room as, as he took his last breath, um, and us to have the opportunity to, to say our goodbyes, to sit by his bedside, to see him, to talk to him. If you could script it, outside of the pain that he was suffering because it was a, a severely debilitating disease, everything outside of that seemed like, um, you know, we were trying to have a, a glass half full approach to it. I was lucky enough to have that experience with death. It wasn't someone's been hit by a car we've lost so-and-so or it wasn't a phone call saying, you know, they've got two days to live. Yeah. Like we had ample time and that's what I took. That's where I took the time to sit in thought about, okay, how can I process this? Well, it's naturally he's, he's elderly. He's um, mid eighties, mid to late eighties. Um, look at the impact he's had. Look at all the positive effect he's had. Um, this is the circle of life. This is how things happen. Um, and that was a real pillar of strength for me. If it was to be sudden, I haven't had that experience. I can only imagine how shattering that would be without the ample, I guess, heads up. Hey, this is what's happening for me to be able to like spiritually and emotionally process it. That's why I do a lot of the, um, I guess, a lot of my practices around mental health, wellness and, and all of the stuff that we do and talk about in terms of, you know, preparing ourselves for times where things will get tough. And rough patches in life. I'm not naive to the fact that I, I will have a moment where, whether it's death or whether it's accident or whether it's um, just a complete, like, um, like 360 on my life that I didn't expect. Can I draw back on the tools that I'm trying to develop now, so that I will be okay with it? Yeah. Not that it'll be easier, but I will be okay. That I will be um, better accepting it all. Yeah, better. Well, just understanding what I'm going through. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. not such a shock, but. Yeah, the, the idea of sudden death versus natural death or a natural process, I feel like they're almost two completely different experiences. I could imagine. Yeah, I, I because agree I felt that. lucky to have my first experience with death be in that manner. Lucky I, in air quotes. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I agree with that. I think when I think about the times that I've questioned whether it was my last moment, the first time was when I was 18 and I'd been quite ill with a lung infection at home and I was supposed to go for a surgery that I'd only had one time previously for my Mm. esophageal varices where they fill up with too much blood and they're often like, um, they go down and they basically get rid of the ones that look like they could dangerously burst internally. In your lungs? Um, So down in your esophagus, so where I've got heaps of pressure in my liver and my spleen from liver disease. Um, because there's so much scarring in those organs, the blood that's supposed to pass through doesn't always get through. So it takes alternate routes and it finds often finds a home inside the esophageal varices at the base of your esophagus. And they can fill up with too much blood and because food and objects come down through here. If like, say, like a Dorito chip, imagine that being your demise, a fucking spicy Dorito. <laughs> goes down yeah exactly some for me yeah (laughs) goes down and cuts one of those varices and it bleeds Mm. and you're bleeding internally there's a lot of blood going through that region so yeah they're like if it gets to that it's a matter of like getting to the hospital asap because you're likely to die if you don't get there in time Mm. and so every like 18 months they go down and do a routine procedure to check these with a camera and if they need to be removed they remove them Mm. um surgically in a safe way and so I was going in, you know, overdue for one of these checkups and 
um, I got to the hospital and I'd been sick all week and this particular day I was really unwell, coughing, my blood pressure was 180 over 100 and my temperature was through the roof and they're like, mate, you're seriously ill, like you don't only look sick, the signs of you being in real distress right now are not great, we can't operate on you like that, we can't put you under anaesthetic because it could be really bad, Yeah. Um, you need to go home, we need to get you in a hospital. They're like, there's no beds here in hospital for you right now. Mm. We've got to send you home and we'll call you as soon as we get one. How's it Sydney at RPA? And so I went home, um, you know, just really unwell. Went to bed that night, woke up the next morning and dad and I were just sitting at home watching a movie and I was just coughing like a dog, like nonstop, couldn't stop coughing. Mm -hmm. And I just coughed and I tasted like a metallic taste in my mouth. It's like that didn't taste right so I went to the bathroom to the laundry and spat out a bunch of fresh blood and I'd never coughed up blood in my life before so at the time I wasn't aware that it was coming from my lungs mm-hmm. I thought one of these things had burst inside of me and so panic straight away like fear and anxiety just oh for sure like fear and, and coming, ex- coming straight from the doctor who's going things yeah. aren't good yeah like, and like fear and anxiety just just fills within your body and just then an urge to like continuously cough up blood so spitting out fresh blood i yelled out to my dad and he quickly grabbed the car keys we just jumped in the car with an ice cream container and just raced out the door and as i'm driving the hospital dad's flying down the highway i'm sitting there with his bucket coughing up blood expecting that it's going to start just vomiting out of me soon and I'm headed to the hospital and you're sitting there in the car thinking, is this it? Because you've been told I was gonna to say, expect at, this. At what point was it? Did you yeah. did that thought creep in being like, I might be dying? Well, the first thing was call my mom and my sister yeah. who were at work together, thankfully, on the day. And I called my sister and answered the work phone. And I just remember saying something along the lines of... What time is this? Um, it was probably like 11 o'clock in the morning. And I was like... I'm coughing up a lot of blood. Like, mm-hmm. this could be burst varicy. Mm-hmm. Your mum need to meet us at Wollongong Emergency, like, ASAP. And I just said, love you, hung up. And then I just remember sitting there talking to dad. And I'm just thinking, like, is my dad going to see me die? Like, is dad going to have to carry me into the hospital and it's too late? Like, are my mum and sister going to get there in time? And you start to oh, think right. about the finality of life and in your head you're asking yourself the question at 18 dude could i have possibly ticked off what i needed to tick off to feel fulfilled about you start to ask yourself am i fulfilled with the life that i've lived up to this point and part of me was very um calm about the fact that i'd always loved respected and appreciated time with family like i've always been so dedicated to my family like that but another part of me felt disappointed that I hadn't lived Shit. life yet. You know, I was just, just an adult. Taste of regret. For sure. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I was, I was so lucky that I got the hospital. It was pneumonia causing a bleed in the lungs and it slowed down. But, you know, there've been, there's been one other time, you know, in the, the years since that it got really scary like that and I needed an ambulance. But it makes you think about life differently. Mm-hmm. And my question to myself has always been, you know, you call that a watershed moment, right? Like the moment that everything is put into perspective and you then have the motivation to go and live life to the fullest. But, you know, do you need, 
should you need and do you need a watershed moment every time life gets a little off track mm. or can you come back to something like your own eulogy and go okay this is how i feel about what that moment would represent mm. and am i living life according to you know what i want it to feel like and how i want to be able to accept it in the end well it's it's that's so gnarly that you've had that experience because I n- i've never had that experience I've never had a thought outside of the beep test in year eight when I thought I might <laughs> having die. Having a brother. Yeah. You know, like... Well, when I said before, like having experienced much around death, that's like people within my family, but probably similar to Brad. Like I've had two experiences where the thought's gone through my head. I'm like, yeah, okay. is this it? Yeah. And one of them when I was like fresh 18, just started drinking, like just before I finished my HSC, the... Um, things like the firefighters or something come to school with the you know the jaws of life and they put like a car in front of you yeah yeah, and, like, yeah. cut it open and be like don't drink drive don't drink drive and when i was like 17 i'm like oh, who would drink drive that's so silly yeah i'll never do that that'll never be me and then within six months of turning 18 i was in a drunk drive and crash and the same thing like once the car started rolling we're going extremely fast on a country road i shut my eyes and i was just like if it happens, just make it quick. That's all I asked for. Oh my god, dude! And planted back on the road on the wheels and drove away. I didn't have a single scratch on me. You serious? But that was so yeah. that was at eighteen, and then from that, which I took away. The car rolled. Probably rolled ten times. Holy shit! <laughs> Doing one hundred and four. And you were just like, like, oh, I was, uh, I was like no control. You had a conscious thought. Passenger seat. My friend was driving, and, and I just shut my eyes and just thought, if this is it, just make it quick. Like if I hit a tree, just make it quick. Wow. And then landed back on the wheels, I didn't have a single scratch on me. And I was like, the message I took away from that was quite negative now. I can reflect back on it, but like I thought I was immortal. I thought I was Superman, I couldn't be killed. So wow. from that experience, mm. I was like, I don't fear death because I cheated it. I can cheat it again. That was wow. what I took away from it, yeah. <laughs> which is probably a reflection of how the capacity of my mental health at 18. Yeah. And then my pop passed away at 19 that I mentioned before. And then the next five or six years was kind of a bit of a, kind of a rip and tear, I suppose. Mm. Like, almost out of control. And then one I had recently was um, that kind of flicked the switch again. I was like, one, the first one made me feel um, immortal, like that's it. And then the second one, I was like, no, this is it, like I'm immortal. This is how I want to live my life now. Yeah. Don't take it for granted. That's, uh, I've listened to a podcast recently and you described it as a watershed moment in this podcast. Um, They spoke about it as a life review. So the you know what's the catalyst for people to change and that catalyst is it comes in a different form for everyone you know it could be the loss of someone else it could be um you know just uh some um, being in a miserable job and the yeah the peak (laughs) test it it could be like you can't really know what is going to be the catalyst for change for for someone but the gentleman on the podcast was speaking about near-death experiences and he said there's a a spiritual which is now scientifically documented like not just a physical um, occurrence that happens, but for some people, a lot of people with near-death experiences, there is not just an emotional, but a, a spiritual transformation that exists where they're describing it in science as a life review. Hmm. And this one gentleman, I'll, I'll have to find the podcast and send it to you guys, but this one gentleman, um, he'd had a handful of near-death experiences and each near-death experience introduced to him a different life review. One where, you know, he reviewed my life, similar to what you were saying. It reviewed his own life from the perspective of, have I done enough? Am I happy with the life I've lived? That was his first life review. The second life review was him feeling 
the impact that his death would have on other people. So it wasn't personal anymore. Have I done enough? Um, how do I feel about my death? When he nearly died the second time, his transformation was, fuck, my family, I f- I'm feeling what they're going to feel if I leave right now. If I'm gone, w- what's the impact that it's going to be left? Yeah. So he had that. that, on that second time. So that was his <laughs> second life review. Mm. And these life reviews create like, like a significant emotional spiritual shift. Um, so it's so interesting to hear that as a 18 year old to have a near death experience yeah, that introduced invincibility. <laughs> he said, "Thanks, man upstairs. Like, yeah, well, cheers for looking out. I've got an angel on my shoulder." I like, actually thought I was a cat. Like, I was like, "All right, I got eight to go." Yeah, <laughs> and then have a second one. I was like, no, "And it was different. It was a different life review." Yeah, like, well, that was yeah, you, used, you used eight in one on that second, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was pretty much ten years in between. I think, like, pretty much as you were saying then. When I was like, I was in a hospital bed and I was like, no, I can't do this to my family. I haven't lived a big enough life yet. Like, but think, think about how even like the growth that you've made within yourself from the I, 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 selfishness, how does it affect me? That that's almost a, such like a good indicator of how much growth you've made For to sure. think about other people. Because I know as an 18, like 19 year old, I didn't think about anyone else. Admittedly, I was so self-centered, so (laughs) egotistical that, and not that I was trying to be, but I was just like a self-centered teenage boy going through the motions, just trying to, you know, chase girls, hedonistic lifestyle, pleasure, you know, everything for me. But to think in 10 years, you can have an experience that says, what about other people? That's the, the fucking... That's what we're aiming for. Because some people still yeah, right. 10, I 20 think, years older and then still not think about anyone else. When you have a near-death experience or when you're actually dying, your body releases small amounts of DMT. Mm. So like your life flashes before your hot eyes and you have those mm. reoccurrences. Like you actually release a small amount of DMT. Yeah, okay. So you can see it from a different perspective or like they say time slows down. Yeah. If you've ever done hallucinogens or anything, like time fucking doesn't move. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like yeah. stuck. It's funny wow, because man. I think the second time it happened to me was a, a lung bleed again and I just woke up one morning it was a month out from our first marathon so I felt really uh, you healthy you spoke about this on a pod recently didn't you yeah and I yeah I was, I was listening to this man I yeah. got I got like up in the morning and I just didn't feel good and I just thought oh, something's wrong like my lungs feel really heavy <clears> and <throat> I felt this need to cough straight away and I walked towards the bathroom and I just like coughed and I looked down at the sink and there was blood everywhere all over. I started running out of my nose mm. and I started coughing like violent. It looked like my dad's partner could hear me coughing because I couldn't stop. And it was just every time I coughed, blood was just spilling out of my mouth. And she ran in the bathroom and like freaked out because it, it literally looked like fucking Russell Crowe from Gladiator had fucking been in there. Like mm. there's blood everywhere. And my dad was out with Hunter, the dog, taking him for a wee and a walk and we caught an ambulance and I couldn't stop coughing it up for probably 20 minutes Shit. and I was panicking while they were coming and I remember just like what your thoughts then? Do you think it was your esophagus or your lungs? No, I knew it was my lungs but it was just so much that they told me like there's a certain amount that gets close to the point where like there's obviously a lot more inside mm. so you could Something be bleeding out around blood. yeah and so you start to panic and I remember just like trying to call and message all my family because your instinct is like at the second time. It's funny what you both said about that second time experience. I just wanted all my people in one room 
Mm. I, th- I think at that point in my life, I'd had such a turnaround in my direction in the space of that 12 months that I felt really proud of where I was at as a human being, what my direction was, that my legacy meant something now. You know, I'd had a chance to prove what my parents had dreamed and believed for my life to be true. Mm. And I just wanted my people there. But then thankfully ambulance got there, everything stabilized with some drugs that I was given and it's just, yeah, it makes you think. And I guess before we go too far down the rabbit hole, I think, you know, we've spoken a little bit about our experiences here. I'd love to get into these eulogies. And I love that this morning as we all congregated here at, we'll call it the studio, AKA mum's dining room. <laughs> um, we spoke about the perspective in which we wrote these eulogies from. So I think before we get into them, they're kind of to give the audience an idea. If you're listening to or watching this, we've all kept it sort of under two minutes because you could go on forever, right? But we want to keep it digestible and that also makes it challenging to make it effective. I but like the, the scope was just write your own eulogy and then there was no other um, information around that. I was just yeah. go, go from there. So you could write it from whatever perspective you want. Mm. So I went from the perspective of I envisioned that I was like 80 or 90 passing away in old age and I have to write it from that perspective. So like the people at my funeral, like my mum and dad and grandparents, that if I wrote it now, it would be about them. They wouldn't be there. It'd be yeah. about my kids and grandkids, but like I've yeah, never met okay. them. So I didn't know how to, I couldn't reference specific um, scenarios. Or, yeah. all, everything's hypothetical. Yeah. Can, I, can I ask, Foons, why do you think, because we all wrote from different perspectives, which we'll all get into, but I'm really curious as to why you think you wrote from that perspective. Is that... When you think of death, like I thought mine was the most normal. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, if you die of old age, it's probably the most... Yeah. yeah. Know, that's just where, when I think of death, I think of like old age, and that's just where I went. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not there yet. The people at my funeral aren't even born yet. Yeah. Well, most of them won't be. I don't know if my friends will still be there or not. Yeah. So like, I don't know how to... I can't reference specific scenarios. So I kind of wrote it more yeah. from like a... Um, well, when I read it, you can figure it out. Mm. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a sign for you to kick us off if you come to. I'll jump in. Jump in, my brother. Jump in. So, this is like nervy, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel yeah, like, so like I, I feel like, like I'm going to get emotional here today, <laughs> eh? Yeah, so like when I shut my eyes and like envision at my funeral, I don't know where technology will be, but like I want to have like a hologram of me. I can do like some sort of <laughs> performance. Yeah. Like when I see. I like, like a little bit of salsa dancing or yeah, something. Yeah, like something. Because you can't like, be embarrassed I about it. To be yeah. Like, yeah. Um, like music, lights, smoke. Like I want it to be more of a performance. Like I don't want people okay. mourning over me. I want it to be Let's like, like it's sort of like a party. So originally... is it going to be a ticketed event? <laughs> yeah, people have to pay to come yeah. to you. Yeah, through wash ticks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one last show yeah. from Ty. So that was kind of the <laughs> perspective that I was going from. I was going to play like some background music for this, but it's going to get flagged for copyright, so I can't do it. So I'll jump in it. So this will be me at. At nine years old, I'd probably hologram myself and I look a bit better around seven years old, probably, yeah. at, probably at that age. <laughs> so I'll just get into it then. How about that ride in? I guess, I, I guess that's why they call it Sin City. <laughs> it now makes perfect sense why they refer to life as a ride, a journey, a quest or a voyage. Because without the ups and downs and especially the memories that I share with everyone here today, life would have no meaning. So what is the meaning of life? I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that question, but I'll share some lessons I've learned along the way. When you're growing up as a kid, if you don't have everything you want or you feel like you've been dealt dealt tough cards, stay positive, read books and love yourself because at some point in your life, your biggest struggles will become your biggest lessons. 
Unfortunately, these lessons will come in the form of pain, but remember, in life, pain is unavoidable, but suffering is optional. Once you've made it out of childhood, the world is yours. Take as many big, calculated risks as possible because you will never regret going all in on something you are passionate about. You will only regret not trying. If you aren't born already knowing what your purpose is, the more you put yourself out there and risk failure, the more the universe will help you find your purpose. And above all else, love your friends and family and cherish the experiences and memories you share with them because as you age, these memories will only become more valuable. And if I'm going to go full circle, I think the meaning of life has something to do with finding your purpose, creating memories and loving wholeheartedly. To my parents and grandparents, thank you for creating an environment that enabled me to flourish and I'm grateful for the life lessons. If the afterlife is real, get a beer ready, ready for me because I'm coming in hot. <laughs> to my wife. <laughs> to my wife, thank you for having a dumpy and being an amazing mother. <laughs> you bring out the best in me and make me an amazing father. To my kids and grandkids, being part of your life and watching you grow is truly a blessing. And last but not least, I'd like to give full credit to the boys. What's understood ain't got to be explained. And to wrap it up so you can get the after party started, I want to finish with this quote. We live two lives and the second life begins when we realise we only have one. So the point I'm trying to make is everyone dies but not everyone lives. Yeah, I love and that. And I was going to play Kanye West's good life in the speakers but I can't do it because of copyright. <laughs> well, I, I love that, brother. So that was more of like kind of principles or values or something kind of like when I, when I get to that age it's kind of how I want to reflect back and see it obviously I can't reference um, yeah. specific scenarios but um, so yeah. it almost sounds like a um, you know how they, they bring alumni back to you know Harvard to say a, a speech to the graduating class oh, so I'm just like alright you're going to get out there in the big world yeah. here's what I know um, I'm not here anymore so <laughs> like here's the lessons that yeah. I picked up take these and run yeah, with them so I was writing it to people that aren't born yet or like kind of like what yeah. can I teach them or whatever I lived my life like mm. how can they benefit from that yeah okay I think for the audience listening very comedic yeah <laughs> I like it well for the audience listening who maybe don't know Ferns as well as we do that was very you it had like meaning with comedic timing but I think it yeah it was like I was writing I was like I don't want people to cry over me like I want to make them laugh yeah. so like I don't want it to be like, yeah, remember I'll the probably, good times not the bad I for, probably forgot about the laughs in mind yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sitting there crying writing it I think though there were a lot of things in there about those lessons that you alluded there to, alluded to there Joey that I think are very significant to your life and like that realisation of purpose and understanding the evolution of that throughout your time Definitely. so I, I love that brother I think that's a it becomes a manual for you to live yeah, by. I kind of feel like when I had that near-death experience at 18, lost my pop at 19, and then found drugs and alcohol around the same time, that was kind of like I felt like I lost the purpose in life and almost felt like almost lost. I didn't know who I was anymore. After like five or six years of that, like I didn't know who I was and didn't want to be that person anymore. So to get to that point and then try to turn around, like it's taken a lot of work. Mm. For sure. What's exciting and you know, know that you consider um, your purpose now to have you know, family and future children in it so it's exciting to hear you talk about that in the eulogy you know like to be a successful father by the standards of loving the people around you and giving them those messages and those life lessons that you've had to painfully figure out the hard way and hoping that they get to go and live their life probably same as joe like egotistical narcissistic like 18 the only way i did learn was the hard way so Mm. I, um, i asked and i received yeah, yeah. No, I love and that. The truth. And you're flying at the moment, brother. Like, obviously, you know, conversations we've had, you've this year and the, the, the last, you know, eight months 
you've cracked wide open and you're just like you're yeah, diving headfirst into your own growth like, it's so unreal to see man I didn't I don't like the person I was when I was younger so I've got that motivation to change like I mm. genuinely don't want to be that person anymore so yeah. the motivation to change is I've lived that life of being a person I don't want to be so now I can use that as motivation to try to figure out who I am well unreal man it's exciting it's so exciting yeah. There's yeah. something you said in that about yeah. like read books and you know like dive into the discovery of who you are and I think that's a huge it's a huge part of your development like Joey said in this last I think we're year. We're so blessed to live in this day and age. We've got YouTube books, every whatever you want to learn, like it's at your fingertips basically. For sure. So, well, just, our, our parents wouldn't have that much information at their disposal. Where we've got all that information, so whatever you want to learn, it's at your fingertips. For sure, mm. for sure. I, I love that brother. Great eulogy and. I guess, do you want to go, Joey, or do you want me to, should we? Well, I'm, I'm a little bit insecure about my eulogy now, because mine, mine <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think, did I write a eulogy? Because mine's not from that perspective. Mine, mine's from the perspective of someone else. You know, I've passed away yeah. and someone else. So, no, like correct I, me if I'm I, wrong, is that a eulogy as well? Yeah, so somebody is. is saying, I, I tried to write it from that perspective, but I couldn't write. Like I couldn't gas myself up. It felt got weird. you, yeah, yeah, like, got you. And I was that, like, he, he was amazing. I was like, I can't write that about yeah. myself. And that's why the exercise for me, because it is hypothetical, um, was almost an exercise in, you know, what kind of man do I want to be, or how do I want to be remembered, and put that on paper. So it does feel a little bit boastful, being like, he was this, he was that. But that's my aspirations for myself. So, for sure. so when I, when it's all said and done for me. To live, did he live by the principles that I aspire to live by now? Mm. Well, hopefully, the person who's saying my eulogy can, you know, verify that yeah, I mean, I yeah. he was this person. This is like, you know, the person you want to be when you pass away, then start trying to be that person today. Yeah, for and sure. That and that's the perspective I wrote it from. Reverse, reverse engineer. Exactly right. So when we talk perspective quickly, sort of you framed earlier that <laughs> you're a, this yeah. is a spinner. Yeah, the spinner <laughs> of like you kind of thought of this as like a middle-aged passing right yeah this this seemed to me i've always struggled to um to visualize myself as an old man as like an elderly joe i can't see it and i guess when we never use a snapchat filter (laughs) yeah i close my eyes i "I don't want to see it i don't want to see it but it becomes like when when this um when we decided to do these my perspective was you know i guess I'll pass away and I'll probably be about 55, 50, a dad with kids. But in saying that, I didn't really reference kids or fatherhood in here. Um, so I did not, (laughs) I did not. Um, but yeah, so I, I can't really see myself as an old man. Um, I guess you saw yourself at 70, 80, 90. I didn't like have a visual of it but like that's but where yeah. I, was, you know, I, was at, I was gonna have a hologram of myself maybe <laughs> yeah so <laughs> i guess i'll just i'll just jump into it and um yeah i might even freestyle a bit see how we go you want to beat, let me know <laughs> so we had here our joseph now i say our because his energy is shared among many a principled man joseph really bought into the values of radical honesty and chose to lead with kindness and compassion. He chose to not only see, but seek the good in people. And this is where his rich relationships were created. A man who wasn't afraid to learn, but sought out life's lessons. He used his fear as his compass. 
Joseph would often talk about the concept of a life resume, that metaphorical CV for those who lived interesting lives and, and what that looked like. So for his life resume, he sought out adventure. He was curious in his exploration of himself and he really lent into the uncommon, the unknown and the intriguing parts of life. He was excited by what he could learn and experience. He was enthusiastic about life. And with this enthusiasm, he found himself exploring the depths of what it means to live a rich life. With his constant pursuit of growth, this made him an avid student of life's lessons and carried with him a youthful spirit, a childlike freedom that he wasn't afraid to just do it, try it, taste it, be it, unconfined and unrestricted. A rich life a vital existence and a passionate energy that Joseph applied to anything that he interacted with. So that's what I've written down there as my eulogy. And even just reflecting on it in real time, I guess I spoke about a couple of principles there, which I do try to like be guided by with living with radical honesty. Yeah. Allowing fear to be my compass, you know, whatever, scares the shit out of me. Let's move towards that. Lean into it. Let's mm. lean into that. You know, with the principles of being radically honest, not just with people mm. in my life, but myself, and also choosing to lead with ca- compassionate, compassion and kindness. Um, the last year for me, and again, we've spoken off camera about some personal issues that I've gone through with people in my life and, and trying to hold on to those principles has been pretty key for me. Let me be radically honest with myself and my friends and the people that are involved in my life, but let me not lose sight of being kind and compassionate. Don't let these shitty experiences or these these trials that I'm going through corrupt my view of the world to become this bitter, um, you know, scared, angry, um, unkind person. So that's what I want to. You know, I want to be remembered as a person. He was honest. You knew what you're going to get from him because he mm. said what he felt and you can trust in his word. But he was also a kind person and a compassionate person. He wasn't afraid. He was, he was up for it. He was vital. He wanted to try things. He wanted to experience things. He wanted to taste things. He wanted to be things. You know, I almost want to be remembered as someone who wasn't confined or unrestricted. I want my kids or my... Free-range chicken. Yeah, I want to be a free-range chicken, baby. Cage-free at best. Like, you know, I just want people to go, man, Joe wasn't afraid. He got out, He got after it. And he did it with a smile on his face. And yeah, shit was hard for him. We saw he went through stuff and X, Y, and Z. But he was always kind. He was always honest. So that's my eulogy. I want people to remember me like that, yeah. I suppose. Well, I think that's very true to who you are as a person. As I listen to that there... A number of the characteristics you described yourself or this person whoever it may be was and it was definitely written from you know i was at a funeral just two weeks ago mm. and it it felt very much like someone was reading that there about you and i love what you said there about that childlike energy that childlike approach to life and question for you off the back of that do you think that's that energy that you encompass and hold and is a big part of who you are and a big part of why people in your life love you and love your youthful spirit. 
Do you think that's why you struggle to see yourself as that older man who's passed? Ooh, maybe so. Because I don't want to be an old, slow, um, you know, less capable person. Mm. So maybe I, th- I think about trying to retain that childlike energy, that the giggly um, enthusiasm and passionate person, which I now see in my younger brother and my nephew mm. you know kids yeah, I still think you can have that energy as you grow old like you don't have to get rid of it oh hell yeah like i hope gonna, so you're gonna slow down naturally mm. but i still think you can have that spirit inside of you yeah i mean i'd, I'd hope so that's my goal but maybe yeah. because i am trying to identify with that so much now that yeah i just don't really see it as being an older gentleman maybe 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 that's why because part of me thinks that it's not a it's not an issue of you know i can't speak for you here it's not an issue of acceptance of aging. It's a, um, it's a beautiful energy that you hold now that will be carried on into your older age that will define who you are. Mm. And I think that's what I see in you because I see so much of that between the three of us, to be fair, when we have these conversations of depth, like if anyone's been um, so full of experience that on a couple of runs recently, she said you can go from like, chatting in real depth to then like bit of comedic humor and then back into depth like there's Mm. this flow between a childlike energy that's perfectly timed i think in our conversations (laughs) and and i see that in you joey with and i see that in you a lot too foons that like childlike energy that's still present that still keeps things light and free and um welcoming Mm. For people but at the same time the ability to have depth that comes with the wisdom of age as well no well, i appreciate that man it's um yeah as i said in my eulogy it's something that i, I want to be remembered for and, and live by so and not just i actually have it tattooed on my arm it's a latin term um essay quam videri um to be rather than seem to be i believe the translation <clears throat> is so not actually not just look like you're being energetic and youthful mm. and kind and honest but actually being it living it mm. yeah, like to be over. rather than seeming to be it's going to reference this quote that i couldn't remember in my head we don't stop playing because we grow old we grow old because we stop playing yeah Ooh, I like that mm. so yeah it's profound playing in the playground baby life's for playground sure. but yeah thanks for listening guys no beautiful Pleasure. man i love it well here it is <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to go reading this, to be honest with you, because I tried yesterday and I got quite upset. Um, I guess mine has been written from, yet again, another different experience. It's been written from the experience of it as if I'm sitting in a doctor's surgery and they've said you've got 24 hours to get your estate in order um, at the age of 26 now. And... Who would you leave all your debt to? Yeah. Yeah, There's a couple of them that are... That are going to be lucky enough to handle that. <laughs> um, I think when I consider why I wrote from this perspective, I think it's maybe because of some of those experiences of past that I've spoken about. And I think it's also an experience of present. Um, you know, I feel very purpose-driven in my life and I feel like I've lived a life of real meaning um, over the course of the last couple of years, a life that I'm proud of. However, there's probably things that are stressing me right now or applying a little bit of weight on my back where those things aren't going as well as I'd love them to be going. Um, whilst they're 
amazing to do and you know this podcast is one of them and whilst they provide me with a lot of purpose and meaning in life um they're not paying the bills and with that comes some stress and you know you feel like you're burning the candle at both ends trying to make ends meet and make things happen and i think for me writing about what's really important um allowed me to take a stress off my shoulders and go well all of that's within my control Mm -hmm. and so um without further ado Funnily enough, it's 12.22 right now, and that's my lucky numbers. So isn't that a way to kick off the eulogy? So here we go. They say that the average human existence is 80 years, or roughly 4,000 weeks. Yet in 26 years, just 1,300 weeks, I truly believe I live more than I could have ever hoped to in my lifetime. Mum and Dad, we did it. When I was born, the doctors told you that cystic fibrosis would ruin my life. Instead, it became my superpower. You both taught me the greatest lesson I could ever learn in life, that what you believe is what you become, and your belief not only saved my life, but it fueled my purpose and gave my life meaning. I can recall my first ever memory like it was yesterday. Three years of age, mowing the lawn with Dad and retiring from my efforts to Mum's signature salmon and beetroot sandwich. When I go back to that moment, I know I felt loved, safe, valued and grateful. I knew I belonged in the world. And from that first memory and for the rest of my life, I never felt anything less than that in your company. No parent should ever have to bury their child, so send me off into the breeze or the sea so that every time you look at the beauty of the world around you, you're reminded that the boy who wasn't meant to live past his early teens got the gift of... Fuck. You right, mate? You right, mate? Got the gift of 26 years on this beautiful earth. <laughs> Knew that was going to be hard. You're going to get me too. <laughs> ready for it? No, That's all good. It's beautiful, man. What a blessing it was. Sissy, you were the greatest gift I ever received in life. You're my first friend and you're still one of my best friends to this day. You were responsible for building my self-esteem and allowing me to wear my CF as a badge of honour. Your admiration for my, your admiration for me was my inspiration to live courageously in this world and you deserve recognition for that. You're more capable than I ever was and I know your purpose will have immense impact on your future family and the world, so never doubt that and continue to pursue big dreams. So, you're my first love and you'll be my forever love. Well... Falling in love with you was the most beautiful experience of my life. Before we met, I'd lost hope that I'd ever have a family of my own. You allowed me to dream of becoming a loving husband and father, and I wish we could have experienced that together. Whilst we didn't get our chance to create a family of our own, know that you and yours became and remain a part of mine for the rest of time. Love makes everything in life a whole lot richer, and with you I was the luckiest man on earth. Continue sharing that beautiful and kind smile, loving through your compassionate heart and living with your beautiful nature. If anyone deserves to be loved in this life, it's you. I know that my passing leaves you all with grief. That may never pass, but don't let this loss dim your light. Life is a beautiful gift that you should not be taken for granted. Live each day in my memory and write your own legacies that will echo in eternity. To my family and friends, I loved you more than life itself, and with you, memory lives on. Yours are too real. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> Thank you, bro. Oh. Thanks for sharing that, man. Nah. 
I was like, just as I was listening to you read that, this started off as a little exercise, which mm. part of me would have, in all honesty, liked to spend a bit more time in thought, mm. hearing you guys speak back about it. But what we're doing right now, you sharing that with us, us being able to actually capture it. Yeah. We might not have ever really taken the chance to, to say those things. For sure. We might not have been given the chance to mm. write those down. So God forbid anyone that we've that you've spoken to in yours or that you've spoken to in yours, Foon, needs that message from us. Yeah. Like they can have that now. For sure. You've taken the time to go there. Mm. You've lived the emotions of what it might be like to do that. And that's a gift, man. Like, yeah. Mine was more like a... I wrote it from like a hypothetical that passed away at 90, like yeah. oh, kind of funny, but yours is like way more in-depth, specific... But imagine, imagine if something happened to us, like I said, God forbid. And for me, I have a couple of voicemails saved from my mum because I just think, what if I got a sudden call that my mum was gone? I can't hear her voice again. What if I listen to that voicemail saying, hey, honey, just give me a call back. Love you. Haven't heard from you a couple of days. I'd play that on repeat. Mm. Imagine if someone in your life, that if we needed it, your family, they'd play this on repeat. The mailbox is like, 50 or 60 messages just from my nan, but it's the same message. Like, hey, Mr. can you call me back? Beautiful, man. <laughs> and if anyone in our lives, in your life, if something happened to you, needed to hear you, obviously mm. there's a catalogue of stuff we can see so much. But yeah. that, if Soph needed to hear something, if Sis needed to hear something, if your mum needed to hear something, they can draw on like what's happening sure. right now. And that's so beautiful, man. So thank you for taking the time to actually go there and and yeah. sharing it with us, man. Like... Well, I think being that, vulnerable enough to share it with us as you have like thank you man no it's you know for me it was a it was a nice exercise to get into that headspace of like I think in life we can get so caught up in what we're trying to achieve and what we're trying to do that you forget what you're doing it for 100% and I as I reflected on that yesterday and got quite not emotional as that but quite emotional reading it you I realised that Without my family, I wouldn't. Firstly, I wouldn't be here. Secondly, none of what I'm doing right now would mean anything. There was the thoughts that, like, oh, do I need to reference? Do I need to reference? You know, the work that I've tried to do on the podcast, or you know, the book that I've written that I've put out to publishers, or the speaking, and it it just held no relevance to me. Mm. Not because that stuff isn't important, but. The reason I'm doing it is because I want the people in my life who are around me to take the messages from it. Mm. And so it was more about paying love and tribute to them for that. And I think it expressed to me that, but I've spoken about it on another podcast recently where I was a guest and for a lot of my life, I just felt like I just, I never, always, I never struggled having good friends. Mm. You know, you two are a great example of that. I never struggled with my connection with my family, but I always struggled with connecting with someone on a romantic level who I felt like could be the person I spent the rest of my life with, who I felt like would give me a chance to have kids and have a family and do what my parents done so well. Mm-hmm. And I, for a long time, I kind of just thought I'd be the hopefully rich uncle who <laughs> rocked up at Shania's 
you know, Shania and Cow's house and gave their, you know, my nieces and nephews presents. Forget, and, forgets the presents, but gives them yeah. a hundred dollar bill in an <laughs> yeah. envelope. Yeah. Not even in the envelope. Just, yeah. oh shit, just forgot shit. the presents. Here you go. Come here. Come here. Come yeah. ride the Ferrari. Come here, mate. Sure. Gives him a hundred dollar bill. And I've, you know, I've got big dreams for my future with this, with my speaking, with the book that... Crazy dog, uncle. Yeah. That mean a lot to me. But I always just thought, like, am I going to be the guy that just rolls in from, you know, just got in off a flight misses his family dearly he's doing mm. cool things and everyone wants to hear the stories but like who does he leave the stories with mm. and and do i even want to be that guy like for me I'd, I'd far prefer to settle for a career that was a little bit more average than it could have been to know that the people i got to spend my time with were people who meant something to me and so as i sat and wrote that and you know getting back to what i was talking about big part of it was around Soph and, you know, being a person I spend the rest of my life with, being the mother of children that I get to have. Mm. And, like, meeting her removed a lot of my insecurity around the fact that that wouldn't be a part of my future because for the first time in my life, I met someone who I shared my values with, who I shared a vision for the future with that didn't make me question whether I had it right or whether... I was on the wrong right path where I had to change who I was. And and I think for me it's impressed the importance of what I believe to be a huge part of my purpose. And I always said that my purpose over this last few years was to uplift and inspire hope in others. And the part that that missed is like how important it is for me to just be a loving human being to the people that I love because mm. that's a huge part of my values. So... My purpose is now what I see to uplift and inspire hope in others and to unconditionally love the people that I love. Mm. And hopefully the people that I love one day are children of my own. Um, right now it's so for my partner. Hopefully one day it's so for my wife. Hopefully it's my sister's children and, you know, all of that. So I, yeah, I, th I think for me it's just, it, it's really impressed the importance of health first and foremost is a priority because without that we have nothing but secondly like my people and if i've got my people no matter what's challenging me in life um i'll find my way through the other side of it and, and feel love through the process yeah so well yeah beautifully beautifully said man and to have the experience you've had now in relationship and and meeting Soph and to you know self-awareness is one of your biggest strengths but to reevaluate and to look back on oh, what is my purpose and have it involve um you know the new people in your life is so good for you because I, I saw um i've seen you go through the frustrations of not wanting of sorry not finding the right mm. person or losing a bit of hope is it is it going to happen and whatnot so for you to be in a space you are now. So all, all mates are good for that. Yeah, it's it's really it's really nice to hear, man. And just as a as <laughs> as um yeah, just as a little bit of acknowledgement to you, um, you're doing it, man. You're you're absolutely doing it. it. You're not only just inspiring mm. um, hope and uplifting others, but man, I feel loved by our friendship. Um, mm. I value our friendship. You too, Funi. Like Definitely. our friendship has developed over the last, you know, eight to twelve months, um, and it's. I'm so grateful to have both of you guys, um, and for you to now, you know, tack on to your purpose, you know, spreading that unconditional love to the ones that um, 
are in your circle and in your life, I feel that, man. So as a pat on the back to you, um, you're doing it, man. You're absolutely doing it. So money, accolades, opportunities, all that shit which we hold on to so tightly, which really is... Isn't, isn't at the crux of what we want. For it's, sure. It's for us to like, you know, people to remember us as good people that loved hard, um, that made people laugh. Um, you're doing it. Cheers. You're doing Cheers. it. Yeah, exactly. You know? so. That hundred, that three centurions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Before you. Well, I think it, for me, it, like I think listening to all of our eulogies today, which was actually turned out to be far more beautiful than I thought it would be. Like I thought kind of like you said Joey it kind of got deeper I think on all levels and like I think that was so different but I'm so glad they were mm. because I think they all represented messages and things for us to have and hold as importance in our own life and like they're almost compasses and guides for the path moving forward in many ways like you know to live out your life the way that you want to live it out so that when you get there you feel good about it. Mm. And I think there's a, a thought that I've been sitting with and thinking a lot about recently and a big part of cystic fibrosis is the sad statistic of what the life expectancy looks like. And I recently thought about it and I thought, well, isn't life expectancy just such a myth? Because nothing <laughs> yeah. is guaranteed. Like, ha- yeah, there's the average age that someone passes at CF, but for me it's like, nothing in life is guaranteed like how how often do you hear of the sad passing of a young person who you know turns like you very well could have been at 18 was in a car accident or but fully healthy your life expectancy was 80 for sure but like you said joey like the middle-aged man who's got you know a family and children but you know something catches him or that cancer diagnosis no one expected or mm. you know those sort of things and life expectancy doesn't mean much then does it? it it really doesn't and i think it's just a message to like to live your life you know you hear ferns you reference the quote that i love um confucius quote that every man has two lives the second begins when he realizes he has one mm. and i think for people listening or watching let this be your realization just a conversation you hear that makes you think about you know don't don't wait for your own watershed moment because not every moment is a narrow escape of death not every moment is someone else's funeral you know sometimes it's it's too late for you before you realize and i would encourage everyone to to think about what is actually important to you as you go on to live this next chapter and the further future chapters of your life Mm. to to try to share the same message but from a different perspective, you know, to me, I've never really resonated. Oh, yeah, I've never really resonated with the, you never know, it could be your last day. It feels very fear-based. Like, mm. be careful. If you don't live your life, it could be your last day. You know, live it mm. to the fullest. What I've been resonating with recently um, is as a young, healthy man with, with a, an amazing support network, I owe it to myself to squeeze the juice out of every experience that I can to live the richest life life that I can because not everyone has the health. So instead of being afraid of death, being like, like, damn, I've got these tools. I may as well use them. Mm. Do you know what I mean? 
thought that I had the other day is like where my mindset it's like at, a duty it's yeah, like where my mindset's at, at the moment like I can turn everything up to 100 and I know that where I am now and look forward to five years in five years I'll be in a better place mm. but when mm. I was younger I was kind of tiptoeing through life when my like my mindset wasn't as good because I knew that if I turned it up to 100 I don't know if I couldn't see myself potentially not being here in five years yeah you yeah. know like the same thing I've got all the tools I've got everything I need turn up to 100 because like I feel as though the only thing I'm going to regret when I get older is not going as hard as I can and that's and that there's control in that and that's what I try to hold on to too because there's no control in when our next day is going to come I can't promise tomorrow it's out of my control but what can I control well I've got these amazing tools these healthy limbs these awesome relationships that I can draw on and I can use and I can play around with and I can live richly with but then I have an accident I lose my arm oh shit I lost that tool but hey I've got these other limbs that I can use. So how can I use... At least you can't get armbarred on that. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu reference for anyone who's, um, who's, uh, who doesn't know. I got armbarred in a competition. Um, but you know what I mean? I'm in control of the use of my tools. So mm. taking stock of what tools have I got and then going, well, it's my duty to use them. You see the guy, amazing inspirational speaker who has no limbs, mm. no arms, no legs. Yeah, he's and he, He's basically... He's um he's, he's just a torso, a torso on head. Is this what? A real reference? Are you speaking? Yeah, no, this is a real reference. He's a real man. Go to um Lewis Howe's podcast, School of Greatness. An exceptional right. interview with him. So he's a re- he's a real person. He has no limbs. Um, and he, he's basically just his torso and his head. And to think, oh shit, what can he control? What tools does he have? Well, he has his voice. He has his mm. mind. He has a smile. So, from the perspective that I'm trying to lead moving forward don't be afraid of losing all my limbs be excited by getting to use the tools that i have right now which is uh, he's got no limbs but he's a, an amazing inspirational yeah, motivational speaker that can use the tool to the best of his ability it's his duty like to a, use a it good mindset for you like as you get old don't fear getting older like what what can you leverage when you get older you get more wise you got more experience like mm, hell yeah look at it through that perspective hell yeah i think i, I love what you, you can control there, that like, joey yeah. like not living from a fear-based perspective i heard and it makes me think of it. I heard the other day, uh, pretty sure the guy's name was Steve Perry, psychologist. I was telling Foons quite a bit about this episode of a podcast I listened to. Um, and he's worked with some of the biggest athletes in the world and um, has also worked on a clinical level in wards, in hospitals and all of that. And he spoke about how important it is to build a self-esteem that is congruent with your values. Mm. And I think in life we we struggle to find meaning in newfound challenges, in adversity, in maybe new paths or directions you've been unwillingly forced to go on. And I think for a lot of people, you know, you spoke about that speaker and I think about BJ Miller, who was a part of this episode with Chris Hemsworth, the doctor who had lost, you know, a couple of his limbs. And he spoke about just finding new meaning in his life. It seems like a common theme at the moment. Yeah, exactly, yeah. (laughs) And well, the I, thing we're like, what's the last thing you'd want is to be <laughs> physically incapacitated. For sure. Almost like, obviously, there's other things that can affect us, but that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Well, yeah. he's We can run without legs, but then what can you do? What can you, you do? You can speak. You can, exactly. you can laugh. You can be the best author ever. You don't need your legs to be an author, mm. you know? Anyways, well, I think so. it drives home for me just to like better understand my values mm. and like, what are the values that I'm trying to live by and how do they become a part of my purpose and my life meaning? Because there, there is undoubted, like I've spoke a little bit about it here today, financially, the podcast isn't paying the bills. Financially, 
the book isn't paying the bills, you know, there's a process ahead of that to get that finished and on shelves and properly published. So if those things aren't paying the bills and I have to pivot, is all of my meaning lost in life? Well, no, because, you know, one of my values is to, you know, love my people. So make that a part of your purpose mm. and, and then allow that to positively build your self-esteem when you live by that value. And I think it can be so discouraging in life when things push you on a different path. And I know there's probably a lot of people who are in their, you know, sort of mid-years or early years of, you know, being a father or a mother or a carer for somebody. And it's made them reevaluate their direction of life because they need to provide for their people. But there is incredible purpose in providing for the people you love. There's incredible purpose in going to a job that may not be directly aligned with your passion, but allows you to serve others and enrich the lives of others. And I think we overcomplicate purpose in life because a lot of the things we hear surrounding purpose are from Hollywood. Mm. You know what I mean? It's a story. It's it's always got to be profound. It doesn't have to be. Fairy tale. Yeah. Yeah. I think remove, like you said, Foons, that fairy tale and and get simple with it and just go, how can I live the most meaningful life with what is in my control and in my grasp right now? Mm. Or even you, you spoke about it before, you know, having an idea of who, of what we want to be or the story we say, you know, you had ideas of being the rich uncle that's hopping off flights or whatever. So whatever story I'm telling myself, is that sitting with and go, is that actually what I want to do be? Cause I mm. used to want to be that, fast talking marketer that's pitching commercials to boardrooms in Manhattan, New York, that's got his, he's always on his phone, he's striking deals, he's moving, he's fast paced, it's sexy. Black Gary V. Yeah, the Black Gary V, for sure. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then that, going through university, like excited, enthusiastic, that's the story that I was like, I want to be that guy, I want to be in it, in the city, I want to be moving and shaking and, and, and then, to actually think about what that story entails, well, I don't actually know if I want to do that because that's mm. taken me so far away from the things which I say I value the most, which is family, um, which is uh, actual relationship. If you're so invested in in your your moving and shaking with business, then you can't sustain a relationship as I'd like to. And I started to look at the story and go, well, actually, I don't really want that. What do I want out of that story? Well, Maybe the feelings of being important. Maybe the feelings of being, um, you know, um, people aspiring to be like me. The feeling of being rich. What's the feeling of being rich? Free. Using my money so I'm not restricted. Mm. I'm free right now. I'm not rich, but I'm free. So why do I need to be rich to feel free if I'm already free? So it's like... Insecurities, ego. Insecurities, the ego. So the story that I, I deconstructed my own story and then you rewrite your story a little bit and it's not so... Um, you know, Hollywood, it's a little bit more value-based being like, well, I don't know what I'll end up looking like, but how will I feel or how will the people around me feel? All right, well, let me try to live in that way, not look like I'm living in that way. How did you rewrite this story? Uh, probably f- five, six years ago when I started to dive into my own personal development and my life review or catalyst for change was the separation from my ex-partner. I got to step away, be by myself, honor that time by myself and start to think, holy shit, who am I? And who do I actually want to be? Because right now I'm this self-centered, egotistical asshole and I want to be an honest, selfless, compassionate person. 
shit, where am I toxic? So my story involved a lot of these toxicities, you know, like bachelor in a Manhattan loft, making heaps of money, driving a fancy car, all that bullshit. Gucci flip flops, baby, all of that. And now I'm rocking around in Crocs, like, <laughs> and I'm, it's not Gucci at all. But the story, I started to deconstruct the story because I realized that none of that shit actually meant anything to me. And so, um, yeah, sitting and going, well, who do I want to be was the first step. And then realizing that I wasn't that and then just honoring exactly what you're doing now, Ty. Yeah. Honoring how to get there and then just doing the work. Who do I want to be and do the work to get there? And doing the work might look like reading some books, might look like making some new friends, might look like picking up a new hobby. But all of that was in my control. And so the way that you've re repurposed your or so you've re um, defined your purpose mm. it's now in your control because you can For control sure. how much you love people but you can't control how inspired I am or uplifted I am by your actions so say you run a thousand kilometers in 10 days I might not be inspired by that I might not be uplifted by that so that means your purpose is not you're not living your purpose if mm. your purpose is to inspire and uplift me because yeah. you can't control that but you can control how much you love me. You can control how much you love the people in your life. So, sure. so there's not, it's not such a burden of responsibility now for your purpose That's to succeed. Challenge. Thousand Ks in ten days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but do you know yeah, what I mean? Thanks for putting that out there. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I completely. To me, get it's you, about like you can control that stuff now. I can't control the other story, but I can control this story. Well, I think I've had a similar. Well, experience. you got me on a tangent now, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've had probably a no, similar experience <laughs> to you. <laughs> <laughs> I've had Another a similar $2, experience to that where <laughs> when I was in Melbourne trying to make money from real estate and like the whole That was the brother I met too. Yeah, that was the guy who went there yeah, was Brad then, that was fat Brad. That was fat Brad. <laughs> fat, Brad. <laughs> fat and pasty Brad. <laughs> it was um it was for me definitely driven by the desire to have money and I asked myself a question as I listened to you share and speak on that just then mm. you know we spoke about like rewriting your story was that your story or was it the story that someone else had written for you the story that like hollywood writes for you because I, I was looking at photos back then of conor mcgregor with three rolls royces in front of his house and you know looking at like people who were in real estate making huge money you know like big commissions nice cars i were young guys wearing fancy suits mm. and i'm going oh that like that's going to make me feel good about myself and oh, i was so wrong it just led me down the opposite path but it took for me like rewriting my own story and figuring out who i was and it all comes from self-development like it's been a big part of your journey ferns big part of yours joey and a huge part of mine is listening to other i think that's why story is so powerful right like listening to other people's stories through podcasts books um you know just sitting down with someone and have a com having a conversation mm. allows you to think about what's my story what does my story look like now what do i want it to look like and i think as i am getting comfortable with it now i feel really good about what it's shaping up to be mm. but so often we're just we're guided by the world on who we think we should be. Yeah, so I got to a point probably in my mid-20s where I was, this felt so unhappy. I was like, right, I'm starting from the start. I was like, who put these thoughts in my head? Are they even my thoughts? Where do yeah, they come okay. from? Why do I believe this? Why do I think this? And just went back to square one. I was like, I basically don't have 
any thoughts, any beliefs, any values, nothing. It was built again and started again from scratch. Love that, man. It's like where they all, I was like, I don't even know how they got in my head. Yeah. Like, mm. Obviously, like the environment, certain people around yeah. me at certain times. Every like influence. That's how it got into me. But it's got to a point, like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Yeah. I'm throwing everything out. <laughs> I'm starting again. Yep. Yeah. And that was a very similar process for me. Yeah. Like, and I was I'm, just, I had felt enough pain. I was like, I don't know how to fix this. Just fucking fell in the bin and start again. Did that, um, did that scare you? Or excite you? Because I remember for me... I, I didn't have any... That was my only option. Oh, you, no, <laughs> you're like, I'm, I'm down here. Like, like I don't, I'm starting to start. start again or keep living an unhappy life. Yeah. I was like, it was a pretty simple decision for me. Yeah, then. okay. But pretty similar. I went through a breakup and then I was like, looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, who the fuck am I? I was like, I don't even know who I am. I was like, I don't like that person. Yeah. So not only did I have to lose an amazing girl, I had to break up with the person I was at the time as well. And that was like the hardest bit. So I had to go through two breakups at the same time. Dude, I love that. Like, because... I'd never really put it that way, but the same. Yeah. Like, I had to, I had to break, break up, up with myself. Yeah, I had to not be the, the person that I wanted to be. And that was the hardest bit because like you'd so many, like this creatures of habit, like the, the things that you do through habit, like trying to break those. Like, mm. That was the hardest bit. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's still, it takes ages. And that's where the work begins. Break up with yourself and then you just have to, you know, fall in love with yourself again. Mm. When you fall in love with yourself, um, and this is a, seems like a far far away concept from death but you know <laughs> once you fall in love with yourself and the pro that's the constant process for me rebirth yeah mm. falling in love with myself and and then you're good you're good from there you don't it's kind of the foundation you can control that again how much love for yourself you have doesn't depend on anyone else it's not validated by um the modeling jobs i get it's not validated by the compliments i get from even my girlfriend the the it's like a powerful place to be. Because then you've got a solid foundation. Like you can't really be rocked. You can't rock. You can't rock. And where are you going to land? Mm. The worst yeah. you can land Back is by yourself. <laughs> and goddamn, that's some good you. company. <laughs> that's some good company. <laughs> uh, there's a quote that, that I heard. Is, if, you, if you're afraid of being alone, you're in bad company. Mm. Yeah. So if you're, if you're scared to be alone, yeah. if you're afraid of spending time with yourself, man, you're in some bad company. Yeah, like a, when I read Will Smith's book, he was like, got to the point, I think he was going to like South America doing ayahuasca and stuff like that. It's like, if I don't like spending time by myself, who would like spending time with me? Exactly right. How could you expect that? Because <laughs> I was like, in my, when I was younger, I hated being alone. I couldn't do it. Yeah. I was just alone with my thoughts and I yeah. fucking hated it. So I just always distract myself. Distract. Go out, be super social, do all this stuff just so I didn't have to spend time by myself. Mm. And when I read mm. that book, I was like, shit, if I don't like spending time by myself, then who would? I was damn. Like, damn, that hit me. That, that, <laughs> that hit you. Yeah. I think when I was in America <laughs> like in October. Yeah. And I was solo by, trip by myself solo trip right for two weeks and you know i'm sitting in a cafe trip for one eat for two yeah <laughs> <laughs> I can let the boy eat man he's, <laughs> a, he's he had he'd already run his marathon yeah. cost me like a bloody eating for two too with a dollar that i was sitting there in a cafe by myself on the first day just riding pretending you're waiting for someone yeah <laughs> Oh yeah, my guest is coming in a minute, but I'll have a coffee while I'm. Yeah, I'll wait. get another croissant. Yeah. <laughs> no, they'll be here soon. Yeah. Licking your fingers. Uh, <laughs> and I was sitting writing about where I was at at that point in my life, and it was weird because I've always considered myself as a character who is really comfortable in his own company. Mm. But you know, and this is a really good point in my life, and I've just conquered a marathon. My health's in a good place, and. I'm really happy I'm doing things that I love. I'm on a trip overseas, you know, you know, experience in LA and New York. And I sat there and I realized that I didn't have this feeling. I had this feeling that was like, 
it wasn't a feeling of being alone because I, I know I've got people around me, mm. but it was this loneliness. And I think it was, it was sort of masking itself as like mental struggle in that week where I was questioning everything about my life direction. You know, I'd, we'd spoken about, it. I'd planned to move overseas this year in 2023 and, and try my hand at making my career a, a reality overseas. But as I sat there, I thought, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to go home. I want to be in Australia. I want to be around my people. And I want to start to construct a life that involves somebody that mm. has somebody else in it. That is me then building for the future. And it, it made me reshape my goals a lot, but I think you need to spend time alone to come to those conclusions. Mm. And that's the thing that I've learned that you can, you can pretty easily in others company be built up and allow your self-esteem to build up on what they see you as that you sometimes forget how you see yourself is really important Mm -hmm. and i see myself as someone who was missing a piece of the puzzle when i sat down and really reflected and looked in the mirror that i was missing a piece of the puzzle that i wanted to eventually have and it didn't mean i needed it straight away i was willing to wait love and a partnership yeah Yeah, and and a future family you know like that that part of my life and as I sat there and looked at myself in the mirror, I realized that probably a big thing stopping me from that was a whole heap of insecurity, a whole heap of fear about it revealing a part of myself that I wasn't extremely comfortable with yet. Mm. And that was just deep-seated fear and insecurity from years of terrible skin in high school and the way that I allowed how I looked to affect my self-esteem, to affect the value that I felt that I had. Um, the way that, you know, even, even recently I still battle with it on a day to day basis. I'm far better with it, but just my negative self-talk, like I'd I'd done that episode with Dylan Mullen, which I know you listened to Joey um, Ferns. I don't know if you heard that one, but I know you've seen some of the clips and, um, there's some really good moments I thought where I shared parts of my story that were really important to me and it got quite deep and emotional and actually done quite well online. And I remember one of them had popped up in my For You page on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And it had a bunch of views, over 100 comments. Yeah, the Ernie video. And like it was doing really well. And people in the comments were sharing some really validating things about like, you know, what a great insight from a 23-year-old man at the time. Some really beautiful comments. Mm-hmm. But I'm seeing all these comments and they meant nothing to me. And I'm looking at my face going fire out your skin looks terrible there's bags under your eyes why'd you do that two days after you'd had a big run like oh your hair looks terrible god like what are people going to be thinking and it's like missing the point of Mm. what my value is truly represented as and i think for me it's been a reminder that when on a consistent basis i think it's really important to have some solo time so you can reflect on who you are as a single being who you want to be and how you see yourself and what needs to be reframed. Yeah. I, um, I couldn't agree with that anymore. And that lesson was dealt to me in the form of a 10 day silent retreat of a Vipassana, um, meditation retreat that I did, you know, for those who don't know, it's 10 days of meditation without any stimulus. So, you know, I've spoken to you boys about it. 
there's no journaling there's no music there's no eye contact there's no speaking there's no reading there's Mm. no writing there's no exercising you basically spend 10 days with yourself stripped of everything else in silence and meditation and they'll give you the the meditative practices but it's not guided you're in a room cross-legged sitting silently and um observing yourself and that observation if you spend enough time will reveal to you what actually is like significant in your life Mm. you know the first two days of that retreat as i try to sit there and observe my breath through meditation the one of the most important things to me was shit did i transfer enough money into my bank account (laughs) to cover my rent for the 10 days because i've handed my phone in so what if what if the money didn't go through and then and then they try to take the rent out and then i mean insufficient funds and then this and that and the other but that drifted after a day and a half two days when i surrendered to the fact that it doesn't really matter Mm. but the other things that were popping up about my self-worth about my direction about my relationship that was popping up on day one and two and guess what was popping up on day seven eight nine my relationship, my self-worth, my direction. So you sit 10 days in silence and something is still there with you. I guess that's the important thing. What was the, the hardest day or the hardest point? Um, probably day six. Probably day six, day five or six. To get to a point where I was exhausted. Not just physically from sitting in cross-legged <laughs> positions meditating, but... Physically doing nothing. (laughs) Yeah, physically doing nothing, but you're sore and you're exhausted. But mentally, I had like, I I got a stress pimple from being in thought for so long. So I had a physical reaction to how hard I was meditating. And that's because you're you're constantly trying to not think. Mm. You're trying to stop yourself from these distracting thoughts, these, the influences of, of everything outside surroundings that keep trying to attack our 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 nervous system and our we're trying to remove all that noise and get still but when that noise comes in you have to remove yourself from it so day six six was like we still got four and a half five (laughs) basically four sleeps and five days 24 hour days of nothing but meditating that's a long time thanks fuck if you're like so far (laughs) <laughs> I have to run 100 k's a day for 10 days or sit silent for 10 days. I reckon the 10 days sitting still would challenge me more. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe that's a challenge yourself, man. Start, start. you know, don't chew off 10 days if 10 days feels undigestible because it can, it can do more harm than good. But um, sitting, to get back to Brad's point, sitting alone, knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable, knowing that it's going to be irritable, but committing to being alone asking questions of yourselves i love that that's so important because that's the only time i've had growth i had to be alone outside of my relationship to ask myself the first question mm. who do i want to be and then once i started to develop yeah, who i wanted to be love that experience dude i love the experience most challenging thing i've done without a doubt but again fear is like my compass time by myself i wouldn't say i love it yet but i'd do it because i know it has benefits it's like an like ice I'm... bath you don't like <laughs> yeah. an you don't love who loves an ice bath but we understand the benefits yeah. we got after it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, I think but you it's get like, comfortable just because you don't love it doesn't mean it's not the exact thing you need to be doing. Yeah. You know? Fear is my compass. If I'm scared of it, that's what I got to lean towards. Yeah, so I do jujitsu comps. They're scary, terrifying, but that's where I want to go to. Recently, like I don't fear physical pain. I fear like psychological pain. Mm. Mm. So maybe. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. 
like progressive overload, getting in spaces where that psychological pain is manageable, having a support network to help you with it. But you're doing it, dude. You, yeah. You're sitting alone in, in um, going camping, sitting alone reading books by yourself. Like, yeah, that's one day at a time. Like, still reading books and stuff. That's huge, like, though. 10 days of just meditation. Like, Oh, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. But, <laughs> but also is camping alone for one night. Some people couldn't even fathom doing that. You might not have been able to fathom doing that before. I'm going to try to do a 10-day sign-up trip for the end of the year when it feels right. When it feels right. That's the main thing. Because mm. if it doesn't feel right, because no one's holding you there, yeah. you can leave whenever you want. And that's another thing. No, that, I can if you're not would let me leave because I'd say I failed. Yeah. <laughs> but it gets hard, man. You get put in the hurt locker. And so if you're called to do it when the time is right, then do it. But don't take the recommendation no, of this like, or whatever, whatever to say, I need to do it because it sounds like you know, another challenge I want to tick off. It's not about that, you know, yeah, missing whatever the point. thoughts or stuff that I struggle with are only like made up or imaginative. Like, I feel that if I sat with them for 10 days, I could be like, all right, that doesn't actually mean shit. I don't, like, That's what I happened don't need for to me. hold that in anymore. That's what happened for I me. I think I get a lot of clarity out of it, but like daunting <laughs> going in there. Oh, fuck yeah. It's daunting. <laughs> <laughs> it's daunting for me. Yeah. I, I want to ask you boys to finish off. We're sort of hitting that hour and a half mark and I'll, I want to keep this digestible for the audience because so far there's been so much in this <laughs> yeah. chat. Um, I want to ask you, Ferns, I'll start with you. What you feel after considering the thoughts of how you would accept your own death after writing a eulogy and, and sitting with that, what do you think is the one thing that it's made you think more about and made you a little bit more focused on for the future months, years to come? I definitely like this because when... Like I was up on a stage being a hologram, like all the people in the audience aren't yet born yet. Mm. But for that to occur, like I need to have a partner, need to have a family, like all that kind of stuff. Mm. Like I don't have a set, I don't know if it's something you can set like a specific goal, like I want a girlfriend by this time or that time. But definitely something I'm more open to now. Like up till now, I kind of felt, I've had two serious relationships, but I feel as though they're basically just feeling a void inside of me. But now I'm at the point now where I don't feel like I have a void in all. I don't feel I'd be dating to fill a void. I'd feel like mm. I'd be dating to create something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I love my, that. My mindset for that. So definitely around that. Like I definitely want to have kids. Definitely want to have, well, kind of have control over grandkids. But definitely like at my funeral when I'm older, like I want to have a family there that I can look down on. Mm-hmm. Joey, can you ask the question again? <laughs> <laughs> I was so caught up in food's answer. No, that's fine. Um, I love it. Listen, being actually involved in listening, I like it. Um, Still asleep for thirty seconds. My question is. <laughs> After considering, <laughs> after considering all of this that we've discussed today, but more so your own eulogy, your thoughts, feelings around acceptance of your impending death, hopefully in the distant, distant future, what's the one thing that it's put into real focus for you right now that you think is going to be a focal point of the months and years to come? Um, I think... For me, what's coming up right now, and it's not that profound, but just continue to play. Like, mm. be playful, man. Like, what we're doing okay. is is so much fun. I'm sitting down with my best friends talking and laughing and crying. Mm. And then I get to hop in my car, which has a full tank of petrol, mm. and drive home <laughs> and do whatever I want on this Sunday. Yeah. You know, like, just that's Freedom, baby. play. Like, just yeah. play in the space that I'm so blessed to be in because... You know, I spent time in Ghana where my dad's from. People don't have the opportunity to sit down with thousands of dollars worth of equipment, hop in their own car, drive and buy whatever food they want. They don't have that that opportunity. 
but I do. And if I'm going to be upset about the minute things, um, well, then I'm missing the point. So again, the tools I have right now at my disposal are there for me to like have a rich, playful life. So I guess conceiving my own death is like, well, at least he had fun before he died, you know, <laughs> like yeah, he was excited and he played, he played and he loved and yeah, not to be too cliche or corny, but I'm just like, that's what's coming up for me. Just keep playing and yeah, remind myself that. that it's not all that serious. Just keep playing. I love that. Mm. I think for me, the beautiful way to describe what you both said there is what I'm feeling right now. And it comes back to, I know we all enjoyed Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights. There's a quote from that book. It's be less impressed and more involved. And I love that quote because I think sometimes my focus is too much on the impressive nature of what future accomplishments can look like and less about appreciating and enjoying the journey or the quest to get there mm. and enjoying what's presently in my reach right now, which is my people, these moments. Um, and I think as I move forward in the coming months, it's asking myself that question like, Am I doing this to be impressed or for others to be impressed in me? Or am I doing this because I want to be involved in the beauty that that holds? Mm. So, boys, I've, I've loved this so much. Honestly, this has been the, my favorite chat I've had in a long, long time. And This was fun. I enjoyed it a lot. I'm, yeah. I'm very blessed to say that for a lot of podcast hosts, they'd sit and say that they're very lucky to share a conversation like that every week. Well... Not only as a podcast host, but as a friend, I have the blessing of sharing these conversations, you know, numerous times throughout the week when we go for a run and coffee. And, you know, that's a real blessing to have not only friendship of the strength and connection I have with you guys, but to have friendship that you can be vulnerable in, mm. to have friendship that encourages genuine conversation that is um, below a surface level and gets to the the deeper meaning of who we're trying to be as men, mm -hmm. um, who we're trying to be as just human beings and the impact we're trying to have within our lives. So thank you both so much. Any closing comments or? Um, I just had a thought then. I was like, well, if I want to be up at my eulogy looking down on my family, like I've always wanted to know my pop on a deeper level, but you can only know someone when my pop was born in the 50s, like 40s. So like I only knew him for who he was then. So like, I think mm. my grandkids can go back and listen to this episode Mm. whenever they've got like this at their disposal dude so it's, it's quite it's, profound in that way or like it's immortalized cool. definitely it's a journal entry that you can just show anyone um because i imagine if you got to go back and listen to one of your pops podcast from 50 years ago or something, dude <laughs> that would be talk wild. about like horse and cart and shit like that yeah and back then they're probably thinking what's that bloody soundboard yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't that ancient yeah, 4k <laughs> yeah. 4k that's embarrassing it's yeah. not even in the metaverse peasants yeah. <laughs> No, 100%. Yeah. And the, I think what would make that valuable is the fact that we're being authentic, open, honest. Because mm. if I went back and looked at even this podcast in 10 years ago, nah, you remember that day, Joe, you were playing a character, you know? You were, you were consumed by the fact that there was a, a camera there and you wanted to look, look and sound cool with your eulogy. Then it would feel dis disingenuous. It wouldn't feel authentic. But yeah, the that, fact that uh -huh. we can sit here and be like, open mm. and vulnerable and honest and then to look back on this and be like 
that's what you actually felt and thought at that time. Yeah, but like to that's look crazy. Back in ten years, and even if you look at the person you are now in ten years and go, that was inauthentic. That's not me. That just shows growth anyway. True, so, true, true, true. Very true. Win-win. Yeah, for sure. Super cool. No, I've I've loved it. Thanks for the chat, boys. You know, we um we're engaging in conversation lots and I love it to to be able to record it um and look back on it. I think is unreal. So definitely. Thank well, you very much, boys. That was great. Stay blessed. Stay blessed. Hey, if you got this far, um, thank you so much for listening or watching. This is hopefully something we can do roughly Mom. every month. Yeah, <laughs> our, moms. Our, our mothers definitely. <laughs> um, you know, this is something that I hope we can do. It's some sort of consistent um, nature every month or so, where we'll talk about a new topic that um, feels genuine and feels like it, it deserves to be mm. spoken about. But got a lot of love for you guys and very grateful we could sit here and share this together. Absolutely. Love you, boys. Cheers.